Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out, right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. Told it's incredible. Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome back to Vegas. I'm Stephen Maggi, and on today's show, you'll meet someone that can tell you exactly what that picture up in your attic is actually worth. He's Brett Maley, the official art appraiser for the worldwide hit TV show Pawn Stars. Later in the program, you'll hear part two of our conversation with the author of Al Davis, Behind the Raider Shield, sports writer Steve Corcoran. Finally, your Vegas insider, Scott Robin, again takes a look at the stratosphere. Last week, it was regarding the hotel's financial woes. Today, what market that hotel is actually trying to reach. I'm Rick Harrison, and this is my pawn shop. One thing I've learned after 21 years, you never know what is going to come through that door. You know, a lot of us look around our house and wonder, do we really have any uh, art or anything like that that's got value? And then we go out and we go to garage sales and so forth. Well, there is a way to find out, and we've got a great guest today. His name is Brett Maley, and he's a fine art appraiser for the hit TV show Pawn Stars. We all know about that. He also is part of the Art Encounter Gallery, and he's got a book out, a great book for starters and so forth. It's called The Pocket Picker for Fine Art. Well, Brett, first of all, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. The question I have for you, first of all, is... Are there a lot of uh, gems hidden among the garbage and so forth at garage sales, auctions, all that type of thing? There are. There are. And uh, it's just really kind of a case of ignorance, you know, people not really knowing what they have. And that's part of the reason why I wrote the book that I wrote, which you were kind enough to mention, called The Pocket Picker for Fine Art. I had so many people coming to me with pieces that they assumed were valuable and weren't, or ones that they just assumed weren't valuable, and they were. And, it, you know, it's works that either they've inherited or have, you know, just kind of lingered in the garage or the attic. And uh, over time, these works have, uh, you know, become valuable. So it's important to know what you have and kind of go through your collection and, and get a good feel for, uh, you know, what gives art value and, and what takes it away. And that's, again, kind of what my book does. Well, Brett, help us. Uh if we get we get a hold of your book and so forth, and then I guess first thing we can go ahead up to the attic. And by the way, everybody tells me this book has been a great piece for beginners and so forth, or even people that know a little about that but want to go to the next level. What's the first thing that you recommend to people like when they get into this kind of stuff? You know, they get the book, obviously. What are some of the first things you do? Well, I think the first thing you can do is educate yourself. I mean, people want to jump in with, you know, both feet and find a, you know, a diamond in the rough right out of the chute, and that's very tough to do. I think the the first thing you can do is kind of educate yourself. And obviously my book is one step, but certainly, you know, to kind of get an idea of, you know, what's out there, you know, either, you know, go to galleries, go to museums, get a better feel for, you know, what paintings look like, what good artwork looks like. And, you know, from there, then, when you start going to some of these estate sales or auctions or garage sales, you'll have a better idea of what makes an art piece unique. What, you know, what is it about this particular work? Is it, is it impressionism? Is it realism? Is it a poster? You know, again, that only comes through exposure. And I would say that's probably the, the number one thing you can do right out of the shoe. And, Brett, would you recommend to some of these people to stay calm? Because, you know, you get in these auctions, you get in these settings, and you get caught up in the excitement of it. And right. It's really the smart person is the one that knows I'm only going to spend X amount. Is that right? You're exactly right. And there's always going to be a good deal around the corner. So if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't make a, a big score right out of the shoot, that's okay. There's going to be something else. And there's that old saying, sometimes the best deal uh, that you make is the one that actually you don't make. And you want to stay, you know, within yourself. You don't want to get excited about something and, and then end up, you know, bidding it way beyond, you know, where it should be. And, and also you don't want to overstep your own limitations. Uh, when, you're, when you're just starting out, again, you're not going to know everything. So you're going to want to kind of stick within a certain comfort zone and then gradually expand out from there. 
Well, we all know you from the show Pawn Stars. And in fact, uh, for your book, I know Rick Harrison wrote the foreword. That's right. I wanted to ask you, how did that change your whole life? Because now all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're in a, uh, a field which is very important and people in that real small niche all know who you are. But you get on something like this and now all of a sudden you're known worldwide and so forth. Did that kind of change your whole career? It really did. And it's been a real privilege. It's been an honor to be on the show. And I'm touched, you know, quite frankly, when people, you know, will call me from all over the place, all over the country, all over the world, all walks of life, and say, you know, hey, I've seen you on the, the show, and I've got some questions, and you're the only one I really trust to ask. And, I mean, that's, that's very flattering that they feel that way based on, you know, my exposure here on the show. And, again, um, you know, uh, it's in something like 100 and some odd countries and in 30 some odd languages. And, uh, you know, it's exposure that just has been incredible for me and for Art Encounter, my gallery, and uh, just, again, really an honor. Yeah, it's a great thing. And one of the things people appreciate is you, with your style, Brett, is that you make something which could be considered difficult or I think unfortunately is kind of considered something like where this very small percentage of people can understand it. You make it easily understandable, and the book is the same way. Is, and when you wrote the book, was that kind of the thing to kind of bring this knowledge to people that maybe want to dive into it but, but feel a little intimidated by it? You're exactly right, and that's the thing. I mean, art is a little bit intimidating. It's kind of this world, and, you know, a lot of people think, oh, gosh, you know, it's hoity-toity, and, you know, you got to know about, you know, etchings and engravings and, you know, uh, all the definitions before you even, you know, step foot in it. And, again, that's that. you're exactly right. That's part of the reason why I wrote uh, the book. I mean, there's a lot of terminology. There's a lot of different types of art and styles of art, but it shouldn't be intimidating. Uh, again, I think... A lot of what you learn uh, about art is just through uh, going to galleries and museums. And I was very fortunate to have parents that were, you know, into the art scene and, and took me around to galleries. And as a kid, I, I you know, you know, I wasn't a, a huge art connoisseur. I didn't necessarily love going to museums, but uh, it, it did really open my eyes and, and broaden my mind. And, and again, people, it's never too late, you know, even as an adult, uh, you know, to, to go and experience that and. Uh, again, just get a better feel for you know the different types of art, the styles of art, and uh, again, a book like what I wrote uh, kind of breaks it down and uh, into you know small little bite-sized chunks, you know, explaining things in, in like you say, fairly simple uh, terms to where uh, again, it's uh, it's a little easier to understand and it's uh, again not so daunting. Hopefully, once you you've read it. Well, I know I wasn't into art until I got married, and my wife was really uh, really enjoyed it and so forth. And one of the things I got from her, and I wanted to talk to you about this is people want to get into this you still got to love it yourself right it's not enough to just say oh wow i think that's worth something i mean unless you're going to really make this a full-time gig you got stuff in your house it should be stuff you like as well shouldn't it i mean what do you tell them in terms of that in terms that's of the, the number one thing i i always tell people and they'll ask me they'll say hey you know brett what's a good investment you know what you know what art is appreciating you know what should i look for what should i buy and i always tell them rule number one you want to buy what you like because no matter what happens with the economy, no matter what happens with the art market, if you have a piece that you really enjoy on your wall and it makes you smile every time you look at it and it brings you joy, then it's a good investment. And it doesn't matter if it's a $20 poster or a $20 million Andy Warhol. Right. It's, uh, you know, it, that's the most important thing. And then from there, again, you, you know, there are certain things that you, you may want to look for, you know, as far as an artist that you like. You know, do, will they have some staying power? You know, what galleries are representing them? you know, uh, that type of thing, you know, but first and foremost, you should look for something that you like. And if it brings you joy, then, it, you know, it, it's a good investment. Well, one question I want to ask you, Brett, is I was always a fan of Leroy Neiman. And, you know, he's mm-hmm. well known, especially in Vegas. Of course. But, but a guy like that, that's so prolific, that puts out so much stuff in the art world, is that considered a little commercial, that kind of, you know, I mean, you know, he'd be a football game, he'd be sitting there, boom, you've got to pay every Super Bowl, you got a new a new piece, you know? Well, it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing in a way. I mean, he was so omnipresent, you know, for such a long time, like you say, at every major boxing event, every Super Bowl, there he was. Every, you know, couple of months, there was a new, you know, Leroy Neiman serograph or poster that was coming out. So, uh, again, there's a lot of inventory still now that we're, you know, six, seven, eight years after his passing. There's still quite a bit of inventory out there, uh, but uh, the good news is, you know, he's he's so renowned. I mean, people, you know, uh, know who he is. They know the type of art that he did, you know, all across the world, across all walks of life. And I think, again, now that we're getting further and further from his passing, 
you know, that reputation is, is, is continuing to grow. So, you know, again, there's a lot of product out there. He did a lot of prints and limited editions and things like that. So uh, there's still quite a bit out there. But I've seen the values of those going up and up and up over the last couple of years particularly, although it is interesting with Leroy because he was one of the first artists that I can say that after his passing, for a short period, his prints, the value of his prints actually went down. Wow. Everybody and their, their mother said, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, Leroy Neiman passed. Well, we've got a print in the attic, or we've got a print in front of the bed. And they all pulled them out, and, and all of a sudden everything was up on eBay. And, you know, they, you know, so uh, for a short period there was a bit of a glut on the market. But now that's dried up, and you're starting to see uh, the value of his prints and graphic works back up to where you would expect for an artist of his renown. You'll hear more from appraiser Brett Maley in a moment. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Are you looking to save money on your prescription medications? Are your prescription costs too high? Are you paying out of pocket for your meds? Or is your copay too high? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you've got to check out the RX Cut free prescription discount card. And getting your free discount card is easy. All you do is go to the website rxcutdiscounts.com. The free RX Cut prescription discount card allows you to get significant discounts on either brand name or generic prescription medications, and it also works on meds with high copays. There are no fees, no forms, no personal information needed, and the cards are active immediately. Discount cards are also good for the entire family, and they never expire. Again, to get your free discount cards, visit rxcutdiscounts.com. You may get the free discount card either by U.S. mail, email, text, or simply print out the discount card online. It's just that easy. Football is coming to Vegas. I felt that one way up here. And your home for all things Raiders is RaiderHistorian.com. Visit RaiderHistorian.com for a look at the game, the philosophy, and the personalities that have made the Raiders one of the most storied franchises in sports. The dynasty is at RaiderHistorian.com. Just win, baby. When you go to Las Vegas, you have to know what you're going to go see. And there's no better place on the web to go than VitalVegas.com. You hear Scott Robin, our Vegas insider, every week on the show. But Scott's got a lot more there. What are people going to find when they go to your site, Scott? Everything you need to know about Las Vegas from shows and restaurants and a lot of inside dirt that you won't hear anywhere else. And a lot of photos, too, and a lot of snark, right? (laughs) That is the case. (laughs) Yes. You can't miss it. VitalVegas.com. It's a must when you come to Las Vegas. VitalVegas.com. Angstrom Minerals represent a quantum leap in nutrition. Liquid Minerals offer a more concentrated and quicker boost because they integrate into the body faster. Unlike that handful of pills you take every day, Angstrom Minerals bypass digestion and go directly to the cells. Try Angstrom Minerals for your body, your health, and your life. Register online and use your account to save 5% off your retail order every time you shop. Some restrictions apply. Please visit ElementalResearchInc.com. 
Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are back with Pawn Star Appraiser and the author of The Pocket Picker for Fine Art, Brett Maley. Well, and that brings up another thought. Watching situation comedies over the years, there's always been one, one or two you'll see a year where somebody's going to die and somebody wants to buy a piece. Is that really true? I mean, do people sit around and kind of hang around the hospital, so to speak? And <laughs> I, mean, I mean, is there that much of a jump immediately after death, or, or, or is that exaggerated? You know, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times uh, once an artist passes, there's just as likely a chance that the value of the art could go down as versus, you know, going up um, for a number of reasons. I mean, a lot of times the artist, you know, is the driving force behind their career. I mean, they're the ones doing the artwork. They're the ones doing the shows, doing the events, appearing at, you know, uh, you know autograph sessions and things like that. And then all of a sudden, when that stops, if they pass, um, there's nobody there to keep their name out there and continue to promote them. So I've seen a lot of instances where, you know, very esteemed artists, either regionally or nationally, after their passing, uh, nobody was there to kind of keep their, their name in the public eye. And, and a lot of times, they, they, you know, their artworks, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, feel the impact value-wise. Well, is that something important for people when they're getting into this, too, where you kind of have to know about your artists? Because a lot of this, you know, it, it's not just if you're trying to make money off this, it's not just what the picture looks like or whatever, it's got to be kind of accepted by uh, some of the top uh, art reviewers and stuff, right? Well, you're right. And, and that's one of the things that we do at Art Encounter. We've gotten more into what I would classify as the blue chip artist. And these are artists that are artists that everyone's heard of. Their track record is secure. Uh, 20th century masters like Matisse, Chagall, Picasso, artists where they're not going to be real susceptible to the whims of trends or, you know, the economy. These are artists that they're again they're renowned through uh, you know uh, historical texts through um, art experts through you know connoisseurs and their work is going to stand the test of time no question so uh, again it's just like when you're investing in art if you want to inv- you know it's like investing in stocks you want to have a diverse portfolio of some blue chip stocks that you know are going to be good for the test of time but you also might want to invest in a few penny stocks which are up and coming artists who you expect maybe one day could be the next big thing. So uh, I kind of recommend that approach if you're looking at investing in art. This is really cool. I think people want to go out to Art Encounters, and we're going to tell them how to get there and everything. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. You're the president, as I understand, yes. and you're certified. And I just wanted to ask you about this. People always ask, you have a certif- certification in the Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice. Now, that's a long thing, <laughs> but I know it's important. Sure. What are the things you have to do? I mean, what, what qualifies you to get certified by them? Yeah, we, I always say use PAP because everything, anything else is a mouthful to try to, you know, break that acronym out. Um, yes, I mean, it, there's a couple of things that you, you typically have to do. Now, again, an appraiser, you're not adherent to some of the same rigors that you might if you were a, uh, you know, a, a real estate appraiser uh, because of all the, you know, the Fannie Mae and all the different, you know, problems uh, on that end. But mm-hmm. Uh, typically, you want an appraiser who is certified through USPAP, and that typically requires a couple of things. You have to take a certification course every few years in you know, ethics and different, uh, again, standards that you have to adhere to in the appraisal practice. That you know, is the formatting of the appraisal right down to the due diligence in your research and the analysis of the piece. I also uh, am, uh, went to the uh, ASAs, uh, which is the American Society of Appraisers, uh, 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 certification program at uh, the U- University uh, of Irvine, uh, UC Irvine, and that is a graduate studies program that they have uh, around the country. And again, that just teaches a lot of the methodology. I've always had a, an interest in art, and again, I grew up in the art business. My father started Art Encounter, gosh, over 25 years ago now, while I was still in, in college, and then came on as a director after that. So I'd always had uh, that you know basis. Uh, and knowledge in fine art, but uh, the certification programs just take it that step forward uh, further and uh, into looking at it specifically from a value standpoint. Let's talk about Art Encounter. It's a great place. <laughs> it's a place people really want to include on their to visit. I mean, you have a lot of things, including 
which I think is so important. It's one thing I learned about from my wife is framing is so important. You could have a great piece if it's not framed right. <laughs> Talk a little about that. I mean, sure. when you come to Art Encounters, I would assume it's a place where they could recommend just that right frame. And, of course, the way you frame it's important, too. Talk a little about how important that is. Well, framing is, is crucial uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, aesthetically, I've seen our framing department take $20 posters and make them look like a million dollars for a fairly nominal investment. And conversely, I've seen million-dollar paintings brought into me to be appraised in, you know, cheap, you know, rundown molding, and it, it makes it look like a cheap, rundown art piece. So certainly from an aesthetic standpoint, it's, it's crucial. But also, and this is something a lot of people don't realize, it's very important from a preservation standpoint. 30, 40, 50 years ago, when pieces were being framed, they weren't being framed... Uh, conservatively. I mean, they were being framed just to get it up on the wall. They weren't right. being framed, you know, in order to stand the test of time. So a lot of pieces framed in the 19th, 20th century uh, have, you know, very acidic backings, uh, you know, acidic mat boards. They've got, some, in some cases, you know, either cardboard or wood backing the piece. And, uh, you know, canvas and, and even to a, a larger degree, paper is very susceptible to whatever it's up against. So, you know, that's why you see a lot of these old prints yellowing and developing, you know, acid burn and little marks they call foxing that look like little pinpricks in the, in the, the print. And uh, it's very important. If you have a piece that's important to you, either value-wise or just, you know, as an heirloom, you want to make sure it's uh, conserved properly. Makes it makes sense, and it's just like with a jeweler. You know, you might not notice it just uh, as an amateur, but it's important to have that and to put the best quality. And it, let's face it, great art deserves great presentation, right? I mean, Absolutely. it's one of those things. <laughs> Absolutely, no, no. It needs to be, uh, it need, you know, it needs to be paid hom- proper homage to. And like I say, sometimes people will bring me in art to appraise, and I'm like, boy, this this beautiful painting is in just a, a real dime store, a ready-made frame, and it kind of breaks my heart. <laughs> Well, and, and can you, you know, if somebody does do that and they come in, can you tell them, look, if you can, you know, change that frame, that kind of thing, will, will that make a big difference? I encourage them to do that quite a bit. A lot of times people will come to me and say, I'm looking to sell this piece. And one of the first things I tell them, especially if they're going to sell it on their own or through a gallery, is to change the presentation. And that's one of the first things we do in our gallery. I mean, it's just like when you're, you're trying to sell a, you know, a car. I mean, the first thing you're going to do is take it down for a detailing and a washing and get it all cleaned up, and uh, the framing makes a huge difference. Uh, so yeah, absolutely, that's a, an important element. And for people that really are into art, they can do some things in their home with lighting that will really emphasize that as well, I would imagine. Sure. Uh, lighting is, is very big. I mean, here in Las Vegas, for example, I mean, there's a lot of natural light, a lot of, you know, uh, you know, spotlights, you know, or, or open air lights and, you know, different, uh, uh, you know, vaulted walls with lots of, you know, uh, windows coming in and, and lighting up everything, courtyards. So, I mean, that's a good thing in a way. I mean, it's nice to have works well lit, but you also have to be cognizant of, okay, you know, how much light is hitting the painting? Uh, you know, do we need to protect it from UV rays? Do we need to put special glass on it? But uh, absolutely, the way that the pieces are lit uh, is very important, and that can be done a number of ways through natural lighting, as I mentioned, or they've got all sorts of, you know, different frame lights, overhead lights, and uh, things like that now. There's a lot of ways you can make your, uh, your home into your own private museum. We will be back with our final moments with Brett Maley of Art Encounter Gallery and Pawn Stars in just a bit. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. I'm here with Logan Reed, my own personal business coach that does so much more than just business. Logan, do you find that people come to you thinking about business and ended up leaving where it's really about their entire life? That's actually a great question because what I find is that people often come to me and ask, am I a business coach? Am I a career coach? Am I a life coach? And I say, I don't care what you call me because when you change any part of your life, so if we're talking about your career or your relationship, it's going to change everything. So when we make changes in one part, it touches every part of our life. So how do we get involved? How do we get more information about about you and what you're doing? Sure. You can give me a call at 360-529-1848 or email me at logan at loganreadcoaching.com. 
And you can also check out my website if you want to learn more about me at loganreedcoaching.com. One eighty over one eleven, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. One fifty over ninety, and I had a stroke. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a stroke are far from silent. Get back on your treatment plan, or talk with your doctor to create a plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhpp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. I know what you're thinking. Why would I need a voiceover production company? Well, does your company need a commercial for radio or television? Does your company need an entertaining and informative on-hold message? Are you looking to do an audiobook or web presentation? Then you need a voiceover production company. That's why thousands turn to the pros at Black Eagle Sound Design. Black Eagle Sound Design is home to some of the finest voice actors, producers, and engineers in the business. At Black Eagle Sound Design, you get Hall of Fame professionalism, royalty-free music, and a 100% buyout, meaning the commercials are yours to do with as you please. See website for details. Log on now to BESD.US and find out more. It's time you worked with the best, and Black Eagle Sound Design will be there with you and your project every step of the way. On time, on target, and at a price you can afford. I'm Adele Poole, one of the many talents you'll hear at Black Eagle Sound Design. Visit us at BESD.US. Black Eagle Sound Design, because the voice you choose matters. The two tight ends are lined up as tight ends. Back goes Darrell to pass. He's looking for Smith, but instead goes down the middle. Chester, touchdown Raiders! That is the Oakland Raiders. No, not the Oakland Raiders of 2017, but the Oakland Raiders of 1972. And that's what we're talking about on a new feature called RaiderHistorian.com. You go there and we have every week... Different highlights from years of the past, including a look back at Al Davis, the owner, all the great games, the rivalries, the philosophy of the team, and so forth. It's a must as the Raiders head to Las Vegas in just another few years. If you're here in Las Vegas, you got to know that history. And if you're from Oakland and L.A., you'll want to relive that as well. RaiderHistorian.com a ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Now, let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We're chatting with Brett Maley, official fine art appraiser for the TV hit show Pawn Stars. Well, this is what you can get at Art Encounter. I think it's great. There's fine art consulting, appraisals, and what have you. I understand you even have a limo service to take uh, people from out of town when they're out of the strip or something. You'll uh, pick them up and bring them out. We do. We do. We're a destination. You know, we're a little off the strip. Uh, we find for what we're doing now with the art that we're handling, that's a, a better thing. We used to be at Caesars. We used to be at the Fashion Show Mall right there on Las Vegas Boulevard. And that was great for decorative work and for exposure. But when you're trying to, to deal with, you know, Matisse's and Picasso's, you don't necessarily want a lot of people falling in the door with those, you know, three-yard margaritas and <laughs> the clanking of the slot machines in the background. So we, uh, we've made it to where it's very easy. If you'd like to come to Art Encounter, if you're staying on this trip, we have a limo service that will pick you up and take you right from your hotel to us. We'll give you a nice tour. We've recently remodeled the gallery uh, and expanded it. It's almost doubled in size. So uh, there's, there's even a broader collection than there was. And uh, I'd say we've got a collection that rivals a lot of museums. Right now we've got an original Pablo Picasso on display that's exceptional. We've got a work that's by Edward Hopper, uh, you know, of course, who did Nighthawks and uh, one of the early uh, you know, uh, 20th century masters. So uh, it's, it's, it's really a, a, a nice destination and a nice opportunity to, again, again, get a little bit of culture here in Las Vegas that you might not otherwise expect on the Strip. Well, well worth the trip, no question about it. Let's tell them if they're getting ready to come out, where they can look on the web to find out more about uh, Art Encounter. 
Sure. Probably the best bet is to go to our website. We have information about our gallery. We also have information about the book, as well as other services we offer, like brokerage, framing, uh, appraisal services. And the address is www.artencounter.com. That's easy. And then as far as the book, it's called The Pocket Picker for Fine Arts. And I guess in addition to on the website, they can also go to Amazon and the usual places. You can go to Amazon. It's in a few regional bookstores, but certainly uh, for most listeners, I think it's the easiest to either jump on our website or just go to Amazon, and uh, it's, it's both places. Brett, thanks so much. Look forward to coming out and looking at, at Art Encounters. Thank you so much. Stephen, thanks for having me on. I look forward to, to meeting you down here, hopefully. Time now to continue our conversation with Steve Corcoran, who has helped put together the definitive biography of Al Davis, former owner of the Oakland Raiders, which will become the Las Vegas Raiders in 2020. Madden was a guy, certainly wasn't the the face of the team the way Gruden was later, but, you know, Madden was kind of an an effusive guy and so forth. And even Tom Flores was kind of a low-key guy, but they were there for a long time. That's why this all of a sudden, this uh, coaching turnover constantly was a big change. He apparently was okay to work for. Was that him just getting a little more eccentric as he got older or the game passing him by? What do you think? If he changed, it was simply because the game had changed and that he had to, but... uh... No, he only changed as much as he had to. He always, he still, till the very end, he always wanted the big arm quarterback. He wanted to rush four. He didn't like the blitz. He wanted to build a defense from the cornerbacks in, and that he wanted the speed and the big arm and the menacing players. And But he just wasn't able to pull it off cause the, because by then you've got salary cap, you've got free agency. And outside of the Gruden years, that four-year window is that the Raiders, uh, you know, the league is, you know, the league is aware of it that it's a difficult place to play. There's a lot of turnover, a lot of tension, a lot of dysfunction. Um, so it, that's where he aired in the Gruden thing is that by the third year, uh, you know, of the of the Gruden era. He's got the quarterback in place, and now he's made the Raiders a place to be again. It's not a place to come and get your last paycheck where no one else in the league is going to offer you anything, and you just play out your last couple years to get some money. Is that It's a place that players want to play. So he winds up getting guys like uh, Charlie Garner, um, Rod Woodson, Jerry Rice, Bill Romanowski. He gets these guys at the tail end of their career who still have something left, and who have options, who had options to go elsewhere, but wanted to play Gruden, and now it was safe, it was fun again to play for the Raiders, and so he lost that in getting rid of Gruden, but uh, yeah, yeah, he couldn't um, he couldn't do the things in the last uh, 15 to 20 years you know, of his life that he was able to do in the 60s, 70s, yeah. and part because he wouldn't change the way the rest of the league had, and he didn't think he had to. Well, you know, and it was interesting, too, like his dislike or somewhat dislike, I guess, of Rich Gannon, who really kind of busted his tail, was great for that team, brought the discipline in that they hadn't had for years, and yet because he wasn't his strong-arm quarterback, he just couldn't get around him. And, you know, kind of blamed him for the Super Bowl loss, which was ridiculous. There was a lot more than that. And it must have really galled him to lose to Gruden. I, I, I got to figure that that probably really stuck with him for the rest of his life. Oh, sure, yeah. The, the uh, line that Bruce Kebrick, I believe, uses in the book says that that's the loss that Al really took to his grave. More with Steve Corcoran, author of Al Davis, Behind the Raider Shield. In a moment, you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Magic. So you met someone who sets you back on your heels. Goody, goody, you met someone and now you know. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from silent. Get back on your treatment plan or talk with your doctor to create a plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhpp.org. Everything's changed. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. With all the talk of fake news today, it's getting harder to know who to trust. Thousands of websites, millions of opinions, even the mainstream media has gotten caught in dishonest reporting. Now, if you're looking for information you can trust, why don't you try westernfreepress.com? 
At Western Free Press, they let you know where they stand and you can judge for yourself. No fake news, no feigned objectivity, just straight news and strong opinion. That's westernfreepress.com. I know what you're thinking. Why would I need a voiceover production company? Does your company need a commercial for radio or television? Are you looking to do an audiobook or web presentation? Then you need a voiceover production company. Black Eagle Sound Design is home to some of the finest voice actors, producers, and engineers in the business. Log on now to BESD.US and find out more. Black Eagle Sound Design will be there with you and your project every step of the way. On time, on target, and at a price you can afford. Visit us at BESD.US. When you go to Las Vegas, you have to know what you're going to go see. And there's no better place on the web to go than VitalVegas.com. You hear Scott Robin, our Vegas insider, every week on the show. But Scott's got a lot more there. What are people going to find when they go to your site, Scott? Everything you need to know about Las Vegas from shows and restaurants and a lot of inside dirt that you won't hear anywhere else. And a lot of photos, too, and a lot of snark, right? That is the case. (laughs) Yes. You can't miss it. VitalVegas.com. It's a must when you come to Las Vegas. VitalVegas.com. My son Casey was a bright, fearless 20-year-old with a boundless future ahead of him. But in the blink of an eye, he was gone. While out riding a skateboard, Casey fell. He was not wearing a helmet. Our whole family wishes he was. It could have saved his life. I'm Captain Kevin Raffelli of the San Mateo Police Department. Parents, encourage your kids to strap on a helmet every time they jump on a bike, scooter, or skateboard. Think of my son Casey and use your head. Put a helmet on. It could save your life. A message from the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Football is coming to Vegas. I felt that one way up here. And your home for all things Raiders is RaiderHistorian.com. Visit RaiderHistorian.com for a look at the game, the philosophy, and the personalities that have made the Raiders one of the most storied franchises in sports. The dynasty is at RaiderHistorian.com. Just win, baby. Dear Daddy, dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at SnowballExpress.org. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are back with sports writer Steve Corcoran discussing the late owner of the Oakland Raiders, Hall of Famer Al Davis. Having covered that team, uh, they seemed unbeatable for a long time. And uh, let's see, they won first four and they averaged like 41 points a game and well over 400 yards. And then they lose four in a row yeah. out of the blue. But then I think they only lose one the rest of the way. And Gannon had only thrown like nine or ten interceptions a whole year. Then he throws five in that game, and he, the wheels just kind of came, you know, they came off in that game. And Al had thought that, okay, we're going to win this game. We're the better team. We've been dominant all year. We're just dominant in the championship game, and that we're going to win this game, and everybody's going to throw rose petals at my feet again, and you know, the old man still got it. The, you know, the lion's king, and, uh, you know, the world is going to be right. right again. But it, it didn't happen, and um, it, that was it. it. They didn't have a winning year the rest of his life. Yeah. So, yeah. And he held that against Gannon. He held that against uh, Gruden, held against Callahan. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody but the, the guy in the mirror, I guess, you know. Right, yeah, right, sure. Let's talk yeah. about one more thing about him, and then I want to talk for with you just a little about the new, you know, the new Davis in town. But first, 
When we think about Al, again, this book will tell you all sorts of things. Looking at the way he made decisions, it's a fascinating look into a guy's whole psyche. But his look on death, and you cover it quite a bit in the book. I mean, he he actually thought there was going to be a way to dominate death. And I had heard him say that one time and thought he was kind of joking around. But after reading your book, this was something he just couldn't accept, that he was going to die at some point. Well, yeah, and, and it wasn't until real late in his life that it was like, uh-oh. I thought if I lived long enough, um, and he didn't live as long as he thought he was going to. Uh, you know, his mom lived till she was 103, I believe. And so, of course, he thinks he's probably going to live at least that long, and that uh, by that time is that we'll have come up with a cure for everything, and that he'll, you know, that he can dominate the NFL life for a couple hundred years, or for 300 years, something. But of course, it didn't turn out that way. Um, but yeah, that's uh, we kind of show in there that uh, you know he finds a way to dominate just about everything in his life, and he's not afraid of the uh, big bad mighty Pittsburgh Steelers from the '70s or the you know or the Dolphins when they're on top right. of the Broncos or the Chiefs. But it, death is the one thing that he's consumed by, and it hits him harder and harder as he sees peers begin to pass away as he ages and it's something that uh, yeah it's something that's always on his mind and he really thought that he was going to come up with a way yeah well you mentioned in the book with bill walsh where he decided he didn't want any more treatments he could see the end that really bothered him it bothered him that he didn't fight it till the end i mean oh yeah 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 he couldn't even he couldn't imagine that and uh so here's this you know he gets word that uh bill walsh says given up he's all through with the treatments and you've got uh john kingdon who tries to say hey look it's possible that the treatment is uh causing more right. pain than what he's in now and he's been through enough how do you know when al's just bs uh, you know I, I don't understand that you have to fight and but that was al yeah. i mean uh life was just like an afc championship game is that it was a battle you didn't quit in the middle of the fourth quarter and you didn't quit at the end if you were dying and um so incredible and and if you look how he lived i mean he literally as we illustrate in the book he's talking to john kingdon on the friday the raiders board a plane to go play the houston texans for a sunday game and al is talking to john kingdon and he's still saying i might be at the game and he passes yeah. away in about uh, 24 hours later so i mean he did try to fight it till the end well and folks with the book we're not going to tell you everything i mean i don't want to read the book to you you got to read it for yourself but there's little stuff in there like the weird way he used to eat and stuff that was just so uh you know and it was funny steve when i read that because i remember seeing him one time in los angeles he had just moved and he was sitting there eating mustard with french fries so i went over and just said hello and i go so you eat mustard everybody just catch it because i like doing mustard it puts everybody everybody doesn't know what i'm up to then it kind of keeps them off guard i mean even the little things like that this guy's just really fascinating well and 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 see so you take that little thing there and it points to the bigger thing that we wanted to do was he, was that he went out of his way to be unpredictable, mysterious, and all that. And I said, look, we have a rare opportunity. There hasn't been a book out there that's able to um, shine a light on this man's life. I said, you guys were with him. You, you are the guys that he was calling in the middle of the night right. when he had an offer to trade Gruden. Uh, you are the guys that, uh, you know, he's going out to eat with. You are the guys that he's pulling this, hey, look, if anything happens to me, I want you to promise me that you're going to take care of my wife. And I said, so you guys have a great opportunity here. We have a great opportunity to uh, show sides of this man that he wasn't going to show and that no one else knew. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Well, let me ask you this, because people have have actually been mentioning that you were going to be on the show, and they'd asked me about this thing with the kneeling. I've gotten some things. What would Al do? And and really, I thought about it, and, you know, the first thought is because he was so good with race relations and stuff that he, I would think that maybe he would be entirely with the players. But I'm not sure that that's the case anymore after reading the book. I just don't know, because the game was all important in his life, too. What do you think his reaction would have been to that? Oh, I think he would have allowed the players. He was 
very patriotic and uh, and a uh, coincidence or not, born on the Fourth of July. Um, but um, no, he's a guy that uh, that would have sided with the players and he would have been vocal about it. And um, but he would have found balance between, hey, look, uh, you know, I respect the flag, I respect the anthem, I respect, but uh, but these guys aren't disrespecting the flag or the anthem. They are using their platform as a way to get across to the masses that hey look you know there's some you know there's some uh, injustices in this country and in this world and that we want them it we want to shine a light on them and so i think he would have helped them um yeah, know, i think you're right them. and i also think yeah. that kaepernick if there was a use for him that way he wouldn't have hesitated in a bit it's just a matter if he oh, thought I, they would win <laughs> you know? oh i put that out there a couple of days ago i i said look i said not only would Al Davis have uh, signed Colin Kaepernick, I said, but he would have done it way back in March, or he would, done, or he would have done it at the end of last year. And I said, and he wouldn't have made that big a deal about uh, him kneeling last year. I said he would have embraced him. And also, the bottom line is that if this is a guy that has a big arm, and uh, you know, he right. would have said, and I've got a guy that can help us win. And uh, so. Yeah, in that way, yeah, he would have signed Kaepernick one hundred percent. Yeah, in that way, he was pretty consistent. Well, let's talk about the Las Vegas Raiders just for a couple of minutes before I have to let you go. Uh, yeah, sure. Number one, the Raiders are coming down there, and do you think it's going to change that whole image that they've had for all these years? Because on the one hand, I think Vegas is excited about having a pro sports team. On the other hand, there is that chance that perhaps this will be a great place for visiting fans to come. You know, and, and you know, you can see like what happens sometimes in Arizona or some of these spots we've seen where the other teams come in. Do you think it's going to change kind of that, uh, you know, the black hole feel? Or do you think the Raiders are just kind of their own brand and it'll be adopted down there? What's your thoughts? Um It'll be a mixture. It's going to change for sure, and I see it happening at 49ers. Is that I covered a, a ton of games at Candlestick, and then I was there on the opener at the Levi's, the new place. Is that there has to be a change? In part, it's because of the economics. Is that you have you know that the cost of those seats is going to drive away. Um, X amount of people, and that you've got to keep in mind that the people that live around here, not only will they be paying probably a PSL, a personal seat license, but more per game, and having to hop on a flight and get a hotel room, you can't hold that up, and you can't expect everybody to do that. So you're instantly going to lose some of those core people in the black hole. And we'll be back next week with our final conversation with Steve Corcoran, author of Al Davis, Behind the Raider Shield. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Why don't you fill my heart with song? Let me swing. I'm here with Logan Reed, my own personal business coach that does so much more than just business. Logan, do you find that people come to you thinking about business and ended up leaving where it's really about their entire life? That's actually a great question because what I find is that people often come to me and ask, am I a business coach? Am I a career coach? Am I a life coach? And I say, I don't care what you call me because when you change any part of your life, so if we're talking about your career or your relationship, it's going to change everything. So when we make changes in one part, it touches every part of our life. So how do we get involved? How do we get more information about about you and what you're doing? Sure. You can give me a call at 360-529-1848 or email me at logan at loganreadcoaching.com. And you could also check out my website if you want to learn more about me at loganreadcoaching.com. Angstrom Minerals represent a quantum leap in nutrition. Liquid Minerals offer a more concentrated and quicker boost because they integrate into the body faster. Unlike that handful of pills you take every day, Angstrom Minerals bypass digestion and go directly to the cells. Try Angstrom Minerals for your body, your health, and your life. Register online and use your account to save 5% off your retail order every time you shop. Some restrictions apply. Please visit ElementalResearchInc.com. 
With all the talk of fake news today, it's getting harder to know who to trust. Thousands of websites, millions of opinions, even the mainstream media has gotten caught in dishonest reporting. Now, if you're looking for information you can trust, why don't you try westernfreepress.com. At Western Free Press, they let you know where they stand and you can judge for yourself. No fake news, no feigned objectivity, just straight news and strong opinion. That's westernfreepress.com. I had a sore in my mouth that just wouldn't go away. And after a couple of weeks, I went to my doctor. A sore, lump, or thick patch in your mouth or throat could be a symptom of oral cancer. My doctor told me I was smart to come in. He said that oral cancer is more common in African-American men than in any other group in the U.S. It turns out I did have oral cancer, but it was caught early and my treatment was successful. I'm glad I got it checked. That probably saved my life. If you're an African-American man, you need to know about oral cancer. Visit a doctor or dentist if you see changes in your mouth that don't go away after two weeks. It's important to get an oral cancer exam. Because if you do have cancer, the earlier it's caught, the better. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Time now for another visit with your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. Well, the stratosphere itself kind of gets mixed reviews. I mean, the tower is really an iconic thing right now, and people all remember uh, the Vic Stupek days where that came from. But, yeah, it has this kind of feel, and I want to get your take on it, that it's kind of, it's kind of a, I guess, an economy motel. Not motel, but an economy hotel. Where does that actually fit in there? Yeah, it's a, it's presumably a good value. Uh, they have a big campaign that's like, take back the strip. And it's, it's ironic because they're playing up the value, but then they're charging, I heard, on the weekend an $80 resort fee. So you're essentially getting a room for 80 bucks, and then there's another $80 resort fee. So it's, I've heard it's a pretty good value. Uh, I've, I think it's worth it to stay there just because of the tower and the restaurant up on top. They have an amazing happy hour. I don't really know where it falls in the spectrum. It's in a, an odd location, but I'd say it's kind of a mid-level uh, resort. But uh, for folks that, that don't come to Vegas that often, I think there's something special about staying in that tower. It's, it's the tallest freestanding tower, like west of the Mississippi or whatever term they use for it. It is a spectacular view. Uh, recently, they've actually started guests uh, asking guests to pay $5 to go up in the tower, which was surprising because that's always been a free perk of uh, guests of the hotel. But everybody's looking for that extra kind of few dollars. Uh, but if you tell people, to, here's a little insider tip. If you tell them that you're going up to the happy hour uh, at the lounge, they'll let you go up into the tower for free. So that's a good way to bypass that $5 fee. Whether you're going up to the lounge or not, going up to the, uh, the observation deck, it's good to just tell them you're going up to the lounge. Thanks for joining us again this weekend. This is Stephen Maggi reminding you, Vegas never sleeps. Bright light city gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. They're all living the devil may care. And I am just a devil with love to spare. So viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas.